You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Good afternoon. It's uh, just past the midday mark on this Monday, the 10th of December. If the weather the last couple of days is anything to go by, we are going to have a very, very, very hot festive season. With the festive season in mind, we're going to be chatting to Glenda Paul, Managing Director of IRS Forensic Investigations just now, about what you should be looking out for in terms of scams this festive season that could perhaps uh, impact on your pocket, looking at scams that uh, target pensions, target bonuses, that type of thing. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. In studio with me today, my old partner in crime, Glenda Paul. Glenda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. It's been quite a while since you've been in studio with me. I know. Nervous to be in front of the mic again. Why? (laughs) You've done it so many times, you're nominated for enough prizes behind the mic. Public speaking's not really my my comfort zone. But you're not public speaking, you're chatting to me. With okay, a couple we'll, of thousand we'll, people We'll treat it in. like that. We'll, we'll pretend we're at home lying on the couch and we're having a chat. Okay, great. <laughs> Don't know what the public think while we're lying on the couch, but um, we're lying on the couch having a chat. Glenda, good news for the National Director of Public Prosecutions. We have a new NDPP, Advocate Shamila um, Batoy. What is your opinion on her? Um, I think um, there was a, a good ap- appointment. I don't want to um, jinx anything at the moment because there has been a lot of um, um, a lot of uh, negativity in the air at the moment with regards to her appointment because people felt that maybe um, uh, the president should have appointed somebody that's currently inside the MPA. If you know anything about Shamile, she was. Um, an advisor to the International Criminal Court, um, and she hasn't been in South Africa for a few years. I think it's about nine years that she's been out of the country working with the International Criminal Court. But I think that's incredible because we're bringing somebody who was the head of the KZN um, public uh, uh, pro- uh, prosecutor's office um, Head of the NPA for KZN So she's got the experience at very Senior level within NPA Structures left South Africa To join the International Criminal Court Where she could only have learnt A lot about international crime trends International jurisprudence etc And she's now brought that experience Back to South Africa Personally, from my point of view, I'm very happy that she was appointed. I can't wait to see what she does because in her speech um, on appointment, uh, she mentioned that uh, she was going to be shaking up the NPA uh, and she's looking to make changes and she's looking to find favor with the public. So uh, from that perspective, I think that um, um, we need to just wait and see whether she's going to make good on those sentiments that she expressed during um, her um, while she um, well, once the president appointed her. I think um, there's been a lot of chatter on social media that um, uh, a lot of people would have preferred Andrea Johnson. Um, um, I think what impressed them the most was that she tackled the fact that the um, the interviewing panel wasn't um, wasn't uh, didn't have any female uh, representation, um, and that kind of endeared her to a lot of people. And then um, the other aspect is that she's she worked on the Oscar Pistorius story as well uh, on the Oscar Pistorius case. 
as um, um, the um, associated to Kharinel. And Andrea also worked on the um, uh, on the prosecution of Celebi. So Andrea was the was the other female choice, and both of these are your homegirls, I believe. Yeah, uh, um, not so much Shamila. Shamila was um, a prosecutor. Where she started a prosecuting a um, career in Chatsworth. Andrea actually is born uh, and raised uh, on the south coast. And that's where you're from. Yes. But um, Shamila also ended up sometime at the South Coast because your dad also remembers her. Uh, yeah, my dad remembers her from some sort of business interaction with her family. Um, and I think that's the extent of our relationship. <laughs> We're placing it on record that Glenda Paul from IRS Forensic Investigations does not have a personal relationship with the new National Director of Public Prosecutions. Let it be known. I think Andrea Johns, what counted against her was the, the Celebi trial. Um, the Oscar Pistorius trial they won, it was a great trial, it was her and Kerry Now. It was her and Kerry Now with Celebi as well. But I think the Celebi trial left a bit of taste in a lot of members of the ruling party's um, mouths. Yeah, I agree party. with you. I think it was also because a lot of, there was a lot of chatter about the fact that uh, Mikey Schultz, Glenn Egliotti, um, oh, who are the other players? Nigel McGurk. All of Kapi those Smith. guys kind of got off scot-free. They, they, they were never, um, their testimony was kind of tainted because they, uh, they are known criminals or, or, or operate in that, in that sphere and their testimony kind of assisted in prosecuting somebody for, um, Yeah, it was a whole chain of events. events they first yeah. went after Agliotti, got people to turn against him, got Agliotti to then turn against Celebi. The fact that the murders of Kebble got away with it because of their cooperation with Grand Section 204s left a bitter taste not just in the mouths of the, um, of, 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 of various members of the factionalized ruling party, but in members of the public as well, because one has to look at it in perspective. Celebi was the number one cop in the world. Yes, he was the head of the South African police. Yes, a lot of, um, confidence was placed on him and it was expected that he would exercise the duties of his officers diligently. However, he was corrupted. How badly he was corrupted. Um, is not as bad as what the public would expect, but it's corruption nonetheless. So one cannot allow corruption, especially when you hold the number one office in policing, not just in South Africa and the world. But where do you draw the line? How do you let three self-confessed murderers and the biggest drug dealer in South African history at the time walk just so that you can now nail the commissioner for a, a, a fraud which they estimated the corruption of between 40 and 300 odd thousand rand? And we as a public don't know the extent of the 204s that were granted to them. It was just blanket immunity for their criminal activity so that they could turn state's witness basically against somebody for, uh, I think the, the value of the, uh, uh, the the amount in the end that they were successful in prosecuting Celebi for was 40,000 rand. And I mean, the cost implications of uh, um, and uh, the, um, the implications of not pursuing criminal action, actions against known criminals and giving them indemnity for those, for, uh, for their criminal activities. I don't know. It, it doesn't, it doesn't well, weigh up for when, me. When one looks at the counts, the, the one count you say was in the region of 40,000 rand, the other count was relating to a pair of shoes that Agliotti had bought. Celebi. I don't even count those pair of shoes, the sorry. The other was <laughs> car washes, the other was money towards the bond, the other was money towards school fees, etc. And a lot of people don't understand the concept of 
of the way the party were coming out of exile a lot of people had nothing and they relied on handouts from people and people took advantage of those handouts and to this day I will maintain that it was very wrong to prosecute Celebi in the manner in which he was prosecuted reliant on the testimony of known criminals and reliant on the testimony of others whose testimony was tainted because there were monies involved however it was a good investigation it was necessary for the head of Interpol to be exposed for being corrupt, the head of the South African police for being exposed as being corrupt. We can never get away from the fact that there was a corrupt relationship between himself and Agliotti. I just think the state could have gone about it in a different way. Okay. Let's go back to the appointment of Shamila and um, the, the, the public's or some sentiment that Andrea Johnson should have been uh, appointed as um, the head of the, the NPA. Um, there's, there was some argument as well in, in, uh, on social media that um, that Andrea didn't quite um, didn't quite fit the requirements because she may not have had as much independence as Shamila because Shamila wasn't in the country during this um, very uh, um, during the turmoil that the NPA was experiencing over the last. 10, well, it's 15 a very, years. Very valid point. The, the last 10 years of capture. Yeah. Um, I think that from that perspective, Shamila doesn't, uh, isn't tainted. And it will be interesting to see um, the, uh, what's going to come out from her appointment, what she's going to tackle first. That was a very valid point that Glenda raised there, is that Shamila wasn't here during the period of, of what we would call the Zuma years. And the so-called years of capture, um, which happened shortly after Polokwane 2007 National Elective Conference. However, capture is something that's endemic, not just in South Africa. It's a worldwide phenomena. Ulysses Confidential Brief. I'm in conversation with Glenda. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. And I'm live every Monday on Chai FM, broadcasting 101.9 FM in Johannesburg and worldwide on ChaiFM.com. I'm joined in studio by my colleague, my partner, and my ex uh, co-host of the old show Corruption Busters, Glenda Paul, who's the managing director of IRS Forensic Investigations. Glenda, it's the festive season. People are getting bonuses. People are... Um, some people are retiring. It's their, their last year that they'll be working for their companies, etc. And a lot of people want to see their bonuses or their pensions work for them. Now, there's a lot of predators out there. What would you say to somebody that has perhaps received a bonus or somebody who's retiring and may have a lump sum of money that they want to make work for them? Should they just invest it in in, in cryptocurrency and forex what would you advise they do i think there's a lot of uh, um, a lot a lot of investments out there uh, or, um, or in lo- a lot of investors out there that are out to take your money and are not necessarily regulated and have bad intentions um, I've, I've always said this if it's too good to be true it probably isn't so what you're saying is if somebody wants to invest money, 
right now we're going through a cryptocurrency phase. We're going through a, a forex platform investment phase where everybody's jumping onto this craze of investing in Bitcoin, investing in foreign currency platforms to short the rand against the dollar, to short the pound against the yen, etc. And all these people have popped up with all this incredible advice where they're going to train you to do it but in some instances they're even going to take your money and invest it for you is it good enough that these people have a fsp number from the financial sector conduct authority the old financial services board um we've recently investigated a case um, um, i don't really want to mention any names at the moment but this particular company turned out to have a proper fsp number they were regulated and um, during its operational period from 2014 to uh, to the time that uh, the FSB discovered that uh, there was something untoward happening, um, they were basically running a Ponzi scheme. They were collecting deposits and that money wasn't invested despite the promises to the, uh, to the clients and to the investors or the victims, despite numerous promises to them that the money was going to be invested on some sort of investment platform. That never ever happened. So I think what you're trying to say, and this is very important for our listeners, and if you have pen and paper listeners, take note. The Financial Services Board is no more. It's now known as the Financial Sector Conduct Conduct Authority, the FSCA. And if you are wanting to get financial advice from any individual for an investment, etc., in South Africa, that person needs to have an FSP number, which stands for Financial Services Provider. However, something very interesting has come out of that because an FSP number is issued, but it doesn't mean that the person that's giving you advice is still qualified to give you that advice just because they have an FSP number. An FSP number can be granted for any number of reasons. People that sell funeral policies need an FSP number and are limited to their area of expertise and can only offer uh, explanations or advice in terms of other products if they are qualified in that advice. So what we've noticed of late is that people will register with the bare minimum requirements just to obtain that FSP number. So when somebody goes and see, asks them the most obvious question, do you have an FSP number? They say yes, and people are happy with that. If they want to go one step further and check on the database, they'll find that yes, that person does in fact have that FSP number. But Glenda Does that number not just limit them to a certain area? Should people make further inquiries? I think that's very important. Um, An FSB number doesn't guarantee that your investment is going to a proper investment platform. Do your research uh, and do your research thoroughly. Use the internet. It's there for you. Don't just, uh, uh, don't just invest your money. You know, and the, the one thing that has struck me over the, the last couple of years, I am very jaded when it comes to investments. I don't believe anything that any of the investment companies are offering unless you an established investment or financial services company. Um, I, I really don't believe in these, these new investments that, uh, and these new companies that just pop up overnight and then shut down the next day. 
I think that uh, you need to stick with something that has been around for a very long time. Rather invest your money in something like that. At least you know uh, that you're investing in a, a company that has historic history of uh, uh, of um, uh, of investments and are not necessarily going to take your money and go and stick it somewhere and uh, utilize that money for their own end. Now, Glenda, there seems to be a surge in investment frauds that turn out to be Ponzi schemes. Of late, we've seen Electio, we've seen Garrick, we've seen JVN, we've seen QSG, we've seen BTC Global. What you said makes perfect sense. These people come along, they're brand new in the industry. Fly-by-nights. I call them fly-by-nights. And they're offering massive returns. And I think that should be the first warning sign, is that nobody can offer you 25, 50, 60% return. Even a 15% return is something that should be looked at. So I think it comes down to the investor themselves, and when they want to invest with an investment house or somebody who wants to give them investment advice, even if that person has an FSP number, They need to look at what is being promised in terms of returns and ask the obvious question, is this possible? Yeah, the thing is with the, with your South African uh, investors, um, I don't know. I think it's probably in, in the situation that we find ourselves at the moment. Um, um, the, the South African economy is um, it's it's in a um, it's not it's, in a good it's place. It's not in a good place. I, I, I don't want to put it. I don't want to make people negative. I mean, we are going into Christmas now, but the South African e- e- economy at the moment is kind of in a negative space at the moment, and and people are trying to find ways and means to make uh, money through in investments, and that's uh, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's actually uh, it's a good thing. I mean, you, you're trying to take care of your future. You're trying to take care of uh, of a situation right now, and people they want to find some sort of financial comfort. They want uh, they they want to find some sort of financial reassurance that they're taken care of, and um, and I think that a lot of um, a lot of fraudsters or scam artists out there are taking advantage of this uh, of these type of people and their naivety when it comes to investments. They're taking advantage of people's wanting or, or, or want or need to to make themselves comfortable, financially comfortable. I think you phrased it perfectly. They're taking advantage of people's naivety, and I think that's what's so shocking about all of this. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. I'm in conversation today with Glenda Paul. She is the Managing Director of IRS Forensic Investigations, which actually makes her my boss. Glenda, welcome back. Thank you. Glenda, before we went to break, I said I want to chat about affinity scams. And it's a very strange term, and it's quite a new term, although it's been around forever. So an affinity scam refers to a scam where people from a similar background or communities taken. Can you give me an example of what you would regard an affinity scam as? Um, let's look at the Tenenbaum one. Okay, very good example. Yeah, uh, that was a, a, a typical um, affinity scam where um, Tenenbaum targeted uh, the, the Jewish community and um, information about the investment, it wasn't necessarily public information. It was actually what we call, uh, a, a, he, he had it or he advertised it or marketed as a closed investment and kind of made it, he gave it that uh, that kind of secret 
exactly uh, the same as Bernie Madoff did in yeah, New York City. Uh, and he targeted the Jewish community, um, and um, and kind of uh, and kind of took advantage of that um, that feeling of you investing in something secret that only you are going to benefit out of, or only a small group of people are going to get some or other benefit out of it. Um, and the investment uh, was marketed by word of mouth within the Jewish community. Well, that's an excellent example because when one looks at an organization like QSG, uh, which was featured on Carte Blanche um, as well as in the Saturday Star, Shane Germana, the, the investigative journalist from the Saturday Star, wrote some really great stories about it, is it was targeting – it was targeting um, Christian the, Christian, Afrikaans. Yeah, the Christian Afrikaans community on the West Rand, am I correct? Yes, and then it spread countrywide. So people that were being preached prosperity in church were then being told by their church elders, their deacons, and in some cases their pastors, this is a great investment opportunity for you, and it's blessed uh, and, uh, yeah, and this prosperity, this this concept of prosperity that gets taught to your uh, to to your church members or to your community, uh, that seems to be um, uh, some of the uh, the motivation to invest in these affinity scams. And I think I think the important thing that you need to know is that. Um, the the first line of investors or the first level of investors actually get money back and they go out and they go and talk about the fact that they've invested money and actually got back their, their returns that they were promised on the investment and that encourages people, other people to invest in, uh, in the scam and then um, more investors come uh, come on board and people are talking about the fact that they actually managed to get some money back. We're heading towards the halfway mark of the show. I'm going to ask my studio engineer, Craig Guthrie, to get a song ready for us when we reach that halfway mark. But just before we get there, I'd like to just confirm with the listeners what an affinity scam is. An affinity scam is nothing more than a Ponzi scheme that targets a specific community. We saw it with Bernie Madoff. We saw it with Barry Tannenbaum. We've seen it in South Africa with QSG, with BTC Global. We saw it with Electio. We've seen it with JVN and any other number of scams. At any given time, it is estimated in South Africa that there are upwards of 300 Ponzi schemes operating. That is an incredible figure, and we're not talking small numbers when it comes to the amounts invested. Glenda, the investigation you're doing in JVN, what was the, the total figure that was invested in that Ponzi? Well, um, the Financial Services Board inspector, um, their investigation revealed, because they did an audit on the actual bank accounts. There were 15 bank accounts that were involved. And from those bank accounts, they realized that uh, an amount of 389 million rand went through those accounts. Then you look at Electio, 600,000. You look at uh, 600 million, rather, what am I saying? Thousand, 600 million. You look at QSG, just under 400 million. Uh, it is absolutely mind-numbing the billions of rand that are invested by the by 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 naive investors, as Glenda called them, by naive investors with sharks that are circling the waters looking for this. I think. I th- yes, Glenda. Sorry, I, I just want to go back to it. J, JVN was actually a, a registered financial services provider. And, uh, was QSG uh, registered with the Financial Services Board? No. Um, 
I think what I want to do is expound on that because uh, unregulated entities or uh, entities that don't have an FSP number, they're not regulated by the Financial Services Board or the the new name, the the FSCA. Uh, they they're not regulated, and they actually uh, they're not. Um, the the FSCA does not have any powers over unregulated entities. Um, any fraudulent scheme cannot be investigated by, by the financial services, uh, uh, by the FSCA. It must be referred to the SAPS or the police, the DPCI. Very interesting point. We're going to take it, take it up when we come back. Right now, we're going to listen to a little bit of music, compliments of our studio engineer in the festive mood, Craig Guthrie. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Craig, thank you for that uh, interesting choice of music today. Um, I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it. Our next two shows are quite interesting because our next show is on the 24th of December, which is Christmas Eve for our, Christi- our, our Christian listeners. And our show after that is the 31st of December, which is New Year's Eve. So uh, we've got two interesting shows coming up. The first one... Um, on the 24th of December, we're going to be chatting about um, some good things that have happened in South Africa this past year, especially in the fight against crime, the appointment of certain officials who are now taking up the task of trying to redress the wrongs that we've experienced in the last number of years with the so-called capture of our law enforcement, etc. And then going forward to the 31st of December, our last show for the year, on the last day of the year, we're going to be talking about case successes that we've experienced this past year. Glenda and I are chatting to you today about Ponzi schemes, affinity scams, the Financial uh, Sector Conduct Authority, the rights they have, etc., the powers they have, who you should go to to report a fraud, um, and, and what recourse there is. Now, Glenda, what a lot of people are unaware of, and this I find extremely fascinating, is that Ponzi schemes are actually mentioned as a crime and it's a crime in terms of the National Consumer Act and the National Consumer Commissioner yeah, should commission, be investigating nas- Ponzi schemes. The National Commission uh, Commissioner uh, who regulates the, uh, the 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 Consumer Protector Act or is the regulator of the Consumer Protect- uh, Protection Act is responsible for investigating and uh, prosecuting Ponzi um, uh, Ponzi schemes, investment scams. Now, let me stop you. They use the word prosecuting, and this is what we say for all regulatory bodies. But there is only one prosecutorial organization in South Africa. So although they're responsible, they have to refer all their findings to the NPA via the police to prosecute. That's correct. They are supposed to investigate it and refer their findings to uh, the uh, report their findings, actually, to the SAPS and the SAPS. SAP in, uh, in turn must prosecute that matter. Glenda, there, there's so many. I was talking about at any given time, there's 300 new Ponzi schemes. When one looks at our regulatory bodies, we have incredible regulatory bodies in South Africa um, with great legislation behind them. Do you think there's sufficient infrastructure? Should they be able to refer it to the police, the hawks, the NPA, for the police, the hawks, or the NPA to then pick it up and keep the ball going? 
Wow, that's a difficult. That's a that's a horrible question to ask. Well, it's a loaded question. I'm I'm going to be honest with you because I've seen it, and I want to ask your opinion on it because we deal with the police, we deal with the hawks, we deal with with the with the NPA, and we've we've heard how our law enforcement has been decimated the last few years so that a token few who were allegedly involved in state capture could get away with it. And obviously it's had a trickle-down effect on everybody in South Africa that crime isn't investigated at the level that it should. Do you think this is changing? And do you think it's true to say that the police, the Hawks and the NPA at this point in time, as you and I sit here on the 10th of December, that the authorities don't have the capacity to investigate the increase and influx of commercial related crimes i think that statement is very true i don't think that they have the capacity i think that they have the will um the members that we've worked with specifically um um, it's encouraging to see uh you know that they want to tackle these cases they want to to move these cases forward and they want to prosecute it i think that they they lack the capacity in the sense that um they don't have uh they they lack infrastructure they lack uh, uh they they lack services um and the access to services like the use of the internet um data mining uh, um access to data mining tools there's, there's so many things that is available out there to investigators that your SAPS investigator or your DPCI investigator do, it does not have access to they not afforded that access to make them progress and the other issue that i have as well is that um the members aren't receiving sufficient uh, training to uh, assist them in increasing their knowledge into financial crime and utilizing that um, uh, that knowledge to, to prosecute um, financial crimes. Well, there seems to be some silver lining, and that silver lining is the fact that the police have identified that they need the capacity to investigate commercial crimes up to a certain level. The DPCI, the Director of Priority Crime Investigation, has been given every commercial crime over a certain level, which isn't that much in the greater scheme of things, which hasn't allowed them to follow their mandate as being the directorate priority, emphasis on the word priority crime investigation. So when one looks at the Hawks, they're divided into sections. There's the commercial crimes component, there's the CATS component, which is crimes against the state, and then there's the organized crime component. These components specialize in serious crimes that can impact on the economy, etc. There's there's even a serious economic offenses unit that's run out of Pretoria that falls under the ambit of the DPCI. Now, if the DPCI is getting every station-level commercial crime case transferred to them, you can understand that their capacity is such they can't deal with all of those. So an instruction, according to my knowledge, has been given quite some time ago for the establishment of a commercial crime component within SAPS to deal with cases of a smaller amount that doesn't impact directly on the state, leaving the hawks to concentrate on far more serious cases. Do you think this will help? I think so. I hope that it's been put into motion and that we start seeing some uh, movement towards uh, towards this this 
this commercial crime unit uh, capacity at station level. It's not happening at the moment. Um, and um, one can only hope that they start implementing this, uh, these type of specialized units at station level um, very, very soon. There's an absolute necessity for these units. We have a new commissioner of police, um, Situli. We have a new head of the Hawks, Libya. We now have a new um, head of the MPA, um, Shamila Batoy. Are all of these indications that government is now wanting to turn the tide on crime and taking the fight against crime more seriously? I think that... Um, uh, um I think that we we have yet to see whether these new appointments are going to make uh, a difference. I'm hopeful, very hopeful, uh, because uh, the members that have been put in charge of these um, or, um, these specific aspects of our criminal justice system, they seem to have the kudos behind them. Um, it's just a matter. Of, it's it's a wait and see game right now, um, uh, but. Um, um, uh, I believe that uh, there's, there's changes. That's gonna, I think it's going to take a long time, but I really, I really believe that there's changes that's going to take place. One thing I have noted is that Advocate General um, Godfrey Labia, who's been appointed head of the Hawks, um, Advocate Shamila uh, Batoy, who's been appointed as, as, as the N- National Director of Public Prosecutions, um, have come back from the outside. Um, Lebeer was a senior member. He was a general in the police. He had left, gone into private practice. Um, Shamila, as you indicated earlier, had left and joined the ICC. So it doesn't seem like it's political deployments any longer. Um, when one looks at the acting commissioner of SARS, who is left with the most unenviable job in South Africa, um, he had to replace Moyani, who was on suspension, and Moyani was subsequently um, unilaterally dismissed um, from his position by the president as an executive decision that's currently before the courts. But when one looks at the appointment of someone like Libya and someone like Batoy, it's the first time in a long time that these people don't have blatant Political, political ties. ties to the uh, to the ANC. Let's, so just put it, let's just put it out there: political connections to the governing party. It would appear that they were appointed based on, on merit. their credentials. Yeah, and uh, on their credentials as well. Because if you look at the uh, Labia's uh, CV, and if you look at Chamila's CV, they uh, um, they were the best people for yeah, the job. They definitely were by leaps and bounds. Well, that that's a turning point, wouldn't you say? I think so. That's why I'm saying to you that I'm actually very positive. I really am positive. But at the moment for me, it's a wait and see what's going to happen. And that makes sense because May next year or maybe even prior to May towards the end of April, we have a national general election. And this will be the first election where Ramaphosa is standing as president and where he'll get a mandate from the people. Right now, as president of the republic, he only has a mandate from his party, from the NEC. He doesn't have a mandate from the people. The people haven't voted him in yet. And we need to ask ourselves, is this window dressing? Is this to make him and his party relevant? Or is he serious 
about fighting crime going forward? And will we see even further changes? Because when we heard about the cabinet reshuffle some two, three weeks back, we were expecting some great shuffling taking place. But we saw a lot of the old faces moved about. Some of the people that should have been removed completely from cabinet have remained. And one has to ask oneself the question, is this just to keep the factions within the party happy? And will he be his own man after the next general election? Your thoughts? I hope so. I hope that he um, um, uh, that he starts making a difference. It's uh, at the moment, based on his current performance or his performance in the last couple of months, I'm very skeptical because I'm. I, Kind of feel like he's he's lip servicing uh, the public, and is playing to his party's tune. But um, I think that uh, we need to wait and see. There, there have been some improvements in uh, in in respect of the appointments um, uh, in the criminal justice system. Um, let's just wait and see whether things happen. I think the important thing is that the public need. To let their voice be heard. I mean, social media has had an incredible impact on some of the decisions that are being made um, in government. Um, have your say. Make it known what you think needs to be done. Don't be shy. We need to take our final break for the day. When we come back, we're going to get some closing remarks from Glenda Paul, who is the managing director of IRS Forensic Investigations. <laughs> You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. In the hot seat with me today, Glenda Paul, my boss. She is the Managing Director of IRS Forensic Investigations. I need to get a couple of plugs in there for IRS. Um, You can follow IRS on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash IRS Investigations. You can also follow them on Twitter at FraudWatchZA. And the website is irsa.co.za. Glenda, this is your show. 22nd year, 23rd year in law enforcement. You joined the police in 1995. You joined the banks in a um, legal and and um, fraud um, environment in the early 2000s. And in 2009, you went into private practice. What have, what have you seen since you joined the police in 1995 up until this point in time in terms of people's regard for crime, people's regard for the criminal justice system, perhaps the respect or, or, or disrespect for the police? What, is, what have you seen as an individual that has dedicated her life to law enforcement? The last 10 years have been very um uh, they've been an eye opener for me. Um, in I don't a good think or a bad way. In a bad way, actually, because um, you know the public's perception of the criminal justice system. There, there actually is no. Uh, uh, there's no way to put this. It's they. They do not have any appreciation for the criminal justice system, and they are completely um, despondent when it comes to reporting crime and waiting for for some sort of outcome. I hope that it changes now with all these new changes that are happening at the moment 
I think it's going to change. We can only hope it changes, but it means that each and every one of us needs to to take a stand. Now, it's easy for you and I to sit in these in these seats and you know, make judgment on, on what's happening in the criminal justice system because we're involved with it on a day-to-day basis. But what do you say to a normal man in the street that doesn't have the the insider knowledge that you and I have, that there is change afoot, that things are perhaps going to come right? Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to have an impact or, or change their view of what the uh, what the criminal justice system is at the moment. I think the criminal justice system and the players inside there need to change the perception of those organizations, specifically the SAPS, the NPA. Um, uh, I mean, if you take a look at the uh, look at. Look at some of the incidents that have happened uh, um, where public have taken in, in, in interest in it. Um, the Global Citizens Concert where um, the uh, patrons were, tar- were, were targeted by uh, some sort of organized criminal syndicate in that Soweto uh, area um, and the FNB Stadium. I mean, the first thing, the first line that came out from uh, the SAPS was a line of defense. Instead of taking accountability for the issues or, or uh, the incidents of crime that took place around that uh, around that concert, their first line of defense was like, "Oh, we only had one report. We haven't yeah. had, we haven't had, uh, we haven't had uh, the, the stuff that's happening in the social media isn't in didn't transpose to the the um, the SAPS uh, system, and they were only able to pick up one case. And yes, the public." That the uh, the the public outrage on Twitter on Facebook was uh, it was real. Well, a lot's happened since then. There's now been 50 cases laid, um, seven suspects arrested, um, bail denied. Strangely enough, all seven suspects. Yeah, but that was after the fact. But it was after the fact. But but I want to get to the point that that you made was you said after the concert, um, organized crime targeted. Uh, these punters, these patrons to the event. And one has a misconception about what organized crime is because organized crime in my vocabulary and in my understanding is a syndicate that is set up specifically and you would think of it as a drug dealing syndicate, a hijacking syndicate, human trafficking. But what you said is so fascinating because it was opportunistic criminals that seemed to all come together. Everything fell in place perfectly that they could become an organized crime syndicate on the night in particular because nobody knew there was going to be this absolute chaos that would allow these opportunistic criminals to organize themselves into groups that could now go out and attack these punters and patrons because the, as the police and the JMPD and the security company said, well, there was only a certain area they were policing and this fell outside of the area that they were policing. So they did drop the ball. No, they did drop the ball. And uh, uh, from listening to what uh, uh, from, from looking at the, the comments on uh, on social media, it seems that this is uh, it's it's not just an isolated incident. Um, there seems to be a reoccurring uh, a pattern at the FNB Stadium when it comes to concert because it wasn't just the Global Citizens Concert that was targeted. There was a concert apparently on Thursday night. Um, I think it was Guns N' Roses that was in South Africa and they had a concert there. And those patrons were also targeted in a similar manner. It's just that the Global Citizens Concert happened to be a bigger event than the Guns N' Roses. And it was weekend. driven by social so, media. So, so, yeah, and it was 
driven by social media. People were uh, were really upset. So I think that there was to an extent some sort of organized element to it. But like you said, it's petty criminals that were targeting uh, uh, concert goers. But they organized themselves. They did. Because they were literally like jackals and hyenas that were biting at the edges of the crowd, going in numbers, targeting people for their cell phones. Um not everybody's reported the crimes. People are still sh- shaken up. A lot of people, like you said, don't believe reporting is going to help. A lot of people only report a crime if they need that reference number for insurance purposes. So we need stakeholder um, influence to say to the public at large, we are here to make a difference. This is what we're doing. And I think somebody like Michael's son has made a difference as the member of the Mayoral Committee for Public Safety in Johannesburg because he's out there in the public domain um, at all stages trying to show how the city of Joburg is trying to make a difference. Uh, yeah, I think that the, uh, uh, Michael's son uh, um, um, and the um – what is his, the, the, um, he's the MMC for sa- safety and security for, for Johannesburg. I think that his department has taken, um, accountability because he actually apologized to the public for, um, the lack of policing around specifically the, uh, the global citizens co- uh, uh, concert. Unlike the SAPS that immediately put up some sort of defense, uh, um, statement. I think that was Vishnaidu, but Becky Chale has now come back and said no, that after the fact, yeah. yeah after after the the fact, um, um, I was disappointed that their first, uh, the, that the SAPS's first uh, uh, statement on the uh, on the issue was, ah, oh, let's defend this uh, and uh, and and uh, protect the the SAPS instead of coming out and said, listen, we were wrong, we started, we're going to take accountability for it, like the MMC for for safety and security in Joburg, Michael Sun, that took accountability for the. Uh, for, for whatever happened at the Global Citizens Concert, and they're looking and planning and putting stuff in place so that they prevent things like this from happening again. Well, let's hope they learn from this. We've run out of time for today. Glenda, thank you so much for joining me in the hot seat today. It's been a pleasure. It was great having you back. It's been a long time. I'll be back next week, same place, same time, bringing you the confidential brief on what's happening.